You're listening to And welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club, the podcast where we talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. My name is Marvin Yuet, and joining me this week once again, we have self-proclaimed professional anxious Asian American, just you. The anxiety's through the roof, Marvin. We're like a week out from Election Tuesday. <laughs> I know. I hate it. That in a week we'll know whether or not we're staying in the darkest timeline or we're um, maybe waking up from this national nightmare. Um, yeah it's just like weird because like it's already so bad but it's either like the beginning of worse or like or like it's it's just a weird thing it's like like this could not even be this could even be like the good times that we <laughs> we know we're in and it could get way worse and that that thought is horrifying which i guess is appropriate since it's spooky season but do you remember I didn't mean this where kind we of were? Spooky. <laughs> Do you remember where we were four years ago? We were weren't we together during election night? We were together in election night, and then I had a mental breakdown and started sobbing, and um, basically was acting like a drunk person, but had not been drinking in terms of like my emotional like brokenness, and I feel like people did not really get it. Like I was getting very weird stares and i was like no 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 i don't think you understand how bad this could get where were you that we were at an, an election watch party in and how did they not under- be us it was supposed to be a celebratory event <laughs> and but how quickly- did people not understand how bad it was because i was even with my white friend and she was horrified like we both were just like wow that did not go how no, we wanted i think it's it. a combination of People our age, like in our, we were in our like, you know, mid 20s to mid 30s at that point. I was in my early 30s. Jess was in her kind of early 20s. Early 20s. Yeah. I feel like people our age just didn't have the, because like we grew Mm. up in the age of, I mean, we're coming from eight years of like the Obama era where things weren't great, but they seemed good on the, on the surface. And so I don't think people. Yeah, we were coming from like Obama era and also like kind of like that naive optimism. And then, we were, I was too young to vote in, I mean, I think the last like really terrible, like weird con- conscientious thing was like the, you know, the 2000 election and the whole debacle with Florida and the Chads and yeah, the, the Supreme years. Court deciding. I mean, I was too young. I was 12 when that happened. So not even 12. No, I was like eight when that happened. So like, yeah, like not really getting a grasp of like what that actually meant. So I think, and then, and then, you know, the Clintons were portrayed to my generation as like a good time like a peaceful like economically prosperous time so like i don't think anyone really like was that politically aware. we were very naive in that we were uh, very privileged in that most of us had not had to engage in politics it was the age where like rhetoric meant more than substance right like as long as people said the right things you can say oh things are good right now we're run I mean, by the I'll good also guys. be straight up. Like, if you went to public school, like, I mean, <laughs> it's. I just don't think they talk a- enough about civics. What how <laughs> civics and how actually, like, or like you know, you take. I mean, government's like a one course thing you do, one semester requirement you do in, um, like your senior year. You can like do a summer school for it to get it over if you want to do like econ AP, which like all the like kids <laughs> got in for like college apps were but i mean as a as like a history person i was just like oh like this is like i was like i don't know i just felt like this is could get really bad right like knowing essentially what has since played out in the last four years like and even though like i kind of expected it every time you know anytime it happens i'm still like what really like really seriously how (laughs) i have a distinct memory of jess lamenting that her the prime of her life was now ruined. And to an extent, I mean, very privileged. <laughs> California, like middle class, I, you know, have money, more money than most people. So yeah, like my life's been affected. I think obviously all our lives have been affected, but like <clears throat> I'm still privileged enough where I've gotten out relatively unscathed. I just am just still too aware of how bad it is. If give you know, especially if you don't have as many options and aren't as fortunate as someone you know like me, you know, or even us as 
working, still working, you know, youngish, relatively healthy-ish people living in a state that is relatively progressive. But I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was ready. I was like, I was like crying, and I was like, I'm, re- I mean, I'm prepping for like the handmaids, like the handmaid's situation which like you know given this monday it we're, we're like slowly going towards that i mean i feel like either way this next week is gonna get pretty chaotic i mean regardless of what happens though is it better or worse just to know hmm. i don't know i actually don't know i mean i don't think it's better in any sense of the word if you know 45 steals another election but so the anxiety's through the roof this week guys Mm, everyone stay safe out there also joining us once again (laughs) professional culture editor han win hey how are you feeling han um so yes there's anxiety but there's also uh this is something that i've been discussing with my coworkers, where um a lot of us have not made any actual plans beyond next Tuesday because we don't know. And we we just can't let ourselves think beyond Tuesday because that would either mean hope or depression. So it's just either way, like those two things are so tenuous. Um, so yeah, it's very much a, what am I doing today? And then I'll look as far as like the weather tomorrow morning. <laughs> so there's not a lot of, yeah, beyond that. And the thing is, like, are we going to know by Tuesday? Like, this no, year is all no, fucked up because um, of COVID, well, right? Well, okay. So, f- coming from Salon, um, which the main news is politics. Um, I do the culture stuff. But, so that means um, we've been monitoring it a lot. And so, when it comes to early votes and mail-in voting and all that other stuff, a really good chunk have come in already. Like, maybe beyond 30%, maybe 40%, something like that. Um, so because of a lot of numbers, I, I, w- I don't want to say necessarily we're hopeful, but it's more of like we're hopeful that we will get an answer within 24 hours maybe um, versus let's say we were like it could take 10 days. Um, so fingers crossed, but yeah, we finally started making plans for that day for coverage as of this week, because when I asked them a month ago, they were like, we have no fucking idea. Cause I was like, do I, cause I was like, I want to volunteer at a poll. They're like, we just know we need you. So I had to, uh, postpone my jury duty and, um, just make sure that like any plans I had for that week, people asking me for out for like my birthday and stuff. I'm like, nope. You know, I'll let you know after Tuesday, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. So tentatively, we think that there will be a resolution at least within 48 hours, hopefully. <sighs> well, I guess by next week's episode, we'll know what kind of era we're, we're stepping towards. I assume we will not be recording on the Tuesday next week. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I will if be you want up late real time, uh, editing. Real time reactions to what's happening. I did kind of plan. Uh, I mean, just over a general work thing, we've just like are not having any public events in like the first two weeks of November. We're like, we're not going to get anything through the noise, the news <laughs> cycle. Like, let's not even. And there's more important things to worry about. Let's not. Let's not worry ourselves there. Yeah. Um. And then I just I feel like. I feel like I need, I think I should just, regardless of what happens, like everyone should just go take November 4th off. <laughs> just a n- well, mental health day. Well, I'm working that day. Um, so. Not you. You're like, you're yeah. like very, like you're pressed. So like you do that. <laughs> well, as we prepare for the week of chaos ahead, um, let's find out what good pop's been getting us through our week. Um, Han, what's popping? So I've been really getting into audiobooks because it allows me to, you know, exercise and uh, passively read. And uh, so I checked out uh, number one Chinese restaurant. I'm not done with it yet. Mm. It's by Lillian Lee. Um, and one of the things I like about it is um, if if you're not familiar with audiobooks, most of the time they're recorded by one person doing many voices. Um, only a few of them, like the really, really popular ones, might bring in actors to do various voices. Um, so this one is narrated by Nancy Wu. Um, and she's done a bunch of other books too. 
such as Convenience Store Woman and one of the Warcross uh, books, an Avatar book and some other stuff. And not all of them are Asian inflected, which I'm happy about because I was worried about that because it's a voice. Um, but it does mean that she does certain um, accents for the older Chinese um, characters. And it's always interesting when um, you have one actor doing both male and female voices, but they're not they're not terribly like she does differentiate between them, but they're not like crazy. It's not like uh, Ronan Farrow doing the voices in his <laughs> book, um, which too bad. But uh, yeah, I, I do have to say listening to romance novels and hearing a woman do a man's voice and being trying to be seductive is really interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I enjoy it because uh, I, I, I think there's a little bit less food description that I wanted. So this allows me to kind of get into the drama of the characters. There's a little bit of true crime. There's some scandal in there. There's, you know, like just people being snotty teenagers. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of in, uh, energizing when I'm exercising. Yeah. Um, Number One Chinese Restaurant is actually one of my favorite books that we've read for my other book club podcast on Books and Boba. It's um I think it's based on a real life um Beijing duck house out in the DMV area. Maryland. Yeah, yeah. Maryland. I don't know yeah. it. Um I would love to visit. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I think the d- description of the interior sound perfect. Yeah, we talked about this I think 2 months ago for do we want this because um it's being adapted into a TV series too. Yeah, yes. now that I'm so excited about. <laughs> I I would love to see these people and also at the restaurant. I really want to just see the restaurant. Yeah. It's like a workplace drama. So I'm super excited about it too. I So because I um, do a book club podcast, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And um, it's funny that you mentioned about voices because I usually listen to it at 1.75 speed. So yes. like the voices oh my God. are already kind of is high-pitched chip anyways. monkey, right? No, no. no. 1.75 I- is about my speed reading it normally, which is why I have it at that speed. I, I'm with you, Marvin. Yeah. I listen 1.5. Um, normally, but then whenever they're going too slow, I do one seven five. I've I've gotten to the point where I'm like, should I do two times? But think, not yet. I think two is when they get a little squirrely. But um, <laughs> it's really cool because I read and listen to a lot of books by Asian American authors, and for a lot of these books, they actually get Asian Americans to narrate them. Um, Nancy was a big one; she does a lot. Emily Wu Zeller is another big name. It's really cool to. I I, I hope that it's a conscious decision. Um, but I do appreciate that. Um, what a co- what a cottage industry, man, <laughs> of recording audiobooks. Yeah, and you having your like specific faves when of of audiobook narrators. <laughs> yeah, you get your favorite narrators. Um, that it's because it it's truly is a skill because you know it's not just narrating, but it's doing the voices, so they have to act. Um, and especially when they're having an argument, it's really fun. I do enjoy some of the more like Regency set audiobooks because they get like the British person to read it. And it's very. That's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking of. I've been listening to a lot of Regency romances and uh, Rosalind Landor. She's actually an actress, a British actress. And when she does all the voices, it's great because she also does Scottish, too, sometimes when there's a character there and from the different, you know, the dialects and stuff. So it's really fun. Yeah, audiobooks are great. Uh, so, Jess, what's popping with you this week? I did take your suggestion, and I finished and I I started and finished the Queen's Gambit. It's great. Uh, total eye candy. She's great. I love Anya Taylor Joy. She's been yes. good in everything I've seen her in, and she has this great quality where she is like a hundred percent blank, which just seems antithetical <laughs> to being a good actor. But she's like. Super bl- She's in so much control, I think, of that ability to emote, which mm-hmm. she uses to great effect in most of her roles, including this one. Also, amazing makeup. Like, the eyeliner game in this is so strong, and the close-ups, just fantastic. I do find it really funny that everyone in this American drama is British, that is actually, yes. like, British. Like, <laughs> yes. all the characters. Um, Like, she's British. Uh, Beltic is British. Thomas Brody Sanger is British. I don't know mm-hmm. about like the town guy if he's British. Probably. I'm like, what guys? We can't. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. This is not my battle. It's all white people. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then uh, I also, on the lighter end, again, very anxious week, very busy week for me work wise. So, like, the 
heaviest thing I can handle is amazing interiors on Netflix, <laughs> which is a reality t- show about, uh, but I like it because it's not really like the HGTV model where they have like a host and they're like shopping. It's, it's also, I realize very American to base everything, like even not like unscripted, you know, reality series. It's all very American to base it either on competition or buying something. And this show does not do either. It's really just following one major project from like construction to the finish. That's like one big storyline. And then they also find two really already completed projects. And they just ask, basically, you're just getting a tour of these like really unique houses or like interiors. And I love it because it's antithetical to the HGTV ethos, which for me is like, sell like you what's the value will it sell what's the resale value which really ends up you get this very very basic generic aesthetic over time like everything's covered in shiplap now like no no disrespect to joanna Gaines, but like you know you look at all these like the home renovation shows and honestly like if you show me a bunch of the pictures of their work i could not tell you who did which house because it's all the same aesthetic but this is like insane these people like have one singular passion and they're like i want to be submerged in it i'm gonna spend like a million dollars to do it no one ever no one besides myself in the world is gonna ever want to live in this house and i as someone who is also very passionate about things highly respect that this one british guy has spent over a million dollars renovating 13 rooms in this house and each specific house is set in a historical time and place So his living room is like a Welsh tower from the 1300s and his kitchen is an 1800s New Orleans kitchen and his (laughs) bathroom is like a different thing. And I was like, sir, I respect you. So you're telling me this man made an Animal Crossing house? He made a Neopets house. That's even more. (laughs) Because in Animal Crossing, you just shove things. But Neopets, you got to have that matching set, you know, the... I I need to watch this because I love a theme just taken to the nth degree. Um, Whenever I go to a party, uh, any sort of premiere, and then they do the the theme stuff, I'm just like, I'm always critical when they don't do it well. So yeah, I I, I very much respect that. It's super, it's super light. You can just watch, you know, it doesn't take a lot of brain power. It's called Amazing Interiors. And it's just, it is very, it's different than... Yeah, it's just like people who are so passionate about a particular thing that they are going to spend considerable time, energy and money to make their dreams come true. And I'm like, you know what? That's wholesome. I love it. And some of these themes are so far out. Like one of the one somebody one of them is like a really like horror like fans. Everything is like horror. One one guy like wants just a huge aquarium in his house. So built built an aquarium. I'm just like. These are my kind of people. So amazing interiors. It's on Netflix. It's great. I can't imagine having an aquarium because how much like how much would upkeep cost? He says he's like, it's very expensive. And basically the only other person who could who knows how to handle it is his son. So they can't ever go on vacation together. <laughs> Cause the son has to house it when it's uh when when he's gone. But he's like retired. And I'm like, you know what? I'm happy for you, sir. I guess it serves these rich people right that they have this cursed interior design that keeps them from doing what they want. I actually think the craziest one is this guy from Austin who like sold his condo and like wants to live in the $15,000 shipping container in the garage where he is running his business. Like he chose to move into a shipping container inside that's inside a bigger warehouse. And I'm like, Sir, you're not going to get any natural light. I, d- I don't. I don't know. Oh, but sure, if it makes you happy, right? Like that's the thing. Like I don't understand it, but the fact that these people are so passionate about it, they're going to do it, is really, really something I love. And again, they don't care about resale. They're not caring about making other people happy. It's like truly for themselves. <laughs> and I do think that's. I would like to see a little more of that. Like you know, unique flavor in interior design i've watched a lot of interior design shows this week this is my favorite one like i i dabbled in like the home edit sucks it's not really interior design it's just like 
bad Marie Kondo. It's like a bunch of women like telling you the way to organize your life is put things into boxes. It's terrible. Uh, I've watched um, Dream Home Makeover, which is like fine, but the husband in that couple like relationship is so boring or so useless. Like like can't stand him. So I was like, this is no hosts. It's just the people, and it's great. I'd watch it. Go watch it. But Marvin, what's popping with you? All right. So it's the last weekend of the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival 2020 that I've been helping out with for the last month. Um, I am a features programmer for this festival. And um, this final week, we have a ton of really great films that I wanted to highlight. Um, Again, this year's LA Asian Pacific Film Festival is 100% digital. You can check it out online at festival.vcmedia.org. Um, some of the films are region locked, so if you're not in the LA or California area, you might not be able to watch some of them. But some of them are approved for national distribution, so you definitely check out the listings to see what you can watch from your area. But this last week, there is a ton of films that I think people should check out, um, including a couple of documentaries. So there's a documentary called The Donut King that was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest. And it's a full feature documentary. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. The rise of Cambodian-American-owned donut shops um, and the man they called the Donut King, um, who pretty much created an empire of donut shops and allowed refugee families to um, have a life in the States through running donut shops. It's super interesting because you learn about the history of Cambodian refugees in America. You learn about donut culture in America. And you also get a lot of really great shots of donuts. Um, Another documentary that I wanted to highlight is called Curtain Up. This is something that I think, Jess, you might be interested in. So it's a documentary uh, focusing on a class of elementary school kids in New York who are basically putting on a um, production of Frozen the Musical. So it's a bunch of... Okay, Marvin, you obviously do not know me because number one, I don't like kids. Number two, (laughs) I don't like Frozen. (laughs) And number three, I don't like kids doing Frozen. (laughs) (laughs) But it's... Um, but <laughs> well, it's it's a fun documentary about budding drama kids. So, oh god, <laughs> I just I'm just gonna be yelling at the screen the entire time. I was like, no, don't do, like get out now, get out while you can. The undoing takes so long. <laughs> Only if it's done like in Pen Fifteen. Oh no, these are real life kids acting <laughs> like drama queens. It's amazing. They're not acting. that's just their inner that's just the inner monologue Um, it should not be enabled they should not be enabled you should never (laughs) enable drama kids guys god nip that in the bud i'm speaking as a drama kid um another film is uh, this one's a narrative feature it's called the miseducation of bindu um if you all enjoyed never have i ever this is another it's a coming of age story starring an indian american um girl um, the premise is that she's been homeschooled for most of her life and she's attending high school for the first time, but more like kind of shy and reserved. Um, I think there's also a hot swim guy in there. And I guess um, her mother just remarried. Um, and her, her stepdad is David Arquette. Please don't tell me she's like horny for David Arquette. No, he's just playing goofy dad. It's fine. Okay, it's very I, that's harmless. fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's nice. He is goofy um, dad. But yeah, it's a fun team rom-com a la American Pie. Um, but not as gross or not as like raunchy, um, but it's a lot of fun. Um, the Miseducation of Bindu, check that out. Um, and also there's two films that I haven't seen yet because it wasn't part of my my um, package, but I'm interested in checking out. One is called Far East Deep South. It's a documentary about Asians in the South, which I find endlessly fascinating. And a narrative called Waikiki, which is a narrative film. Hold on, let me pull up the description. Real quick. It's by uh, Christopher Kahuna Hana. Um, which according some of to some of the like news and press releases I've read, unless proven otherwise, might be the first mm-hmm. narrative feature ever made by a Native Hawaiian filmmaker. Yes, that which is, is yeah, what they're really wild. It which is wild. And what I find really interesting is it's a narrative about the people that actually live in Hawaii and not like people that are visiting Hawaii. Cause a lot of narratives about Hawaii are about the tourists and the, like kind of the, the transplants and not like the actual people that live and work in Hawaii. Or even, you know, the ones about people who live in Hawaii are about the white people who live in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah right. These like are, descendants and yeah. These are talking about Aloha. 
Yeah, this is it, it's it's about a woman who, you know, she does she is part of the tourist industry and in that she is a hula dancer. Um, but it's also about how I think the land is being taken away. And so there's uh, there's sort of a a metaphor about that and then the trauma that uh, Hawaiians are feeling. And so it is actually, you know, pretty deep and serious, but it's also surreal. There's some moments there that I think uh, uh, take you out of the regular <laughs> um, narrative. So I think it's a really worthwhile. I haven't seen it yet. I only, you know, uh, I rec- I requisitioned a uh, an interview with the director. So um, I read that interview and it got me really interested. Yeah. Um, I'm excited that there are films exploring like the people that you don't normally see explored. Yeah. So again, um, these films will be screening online um, until Sunday on November 1st. Um, you can check them out by going to um, festival.vcmedia.org. Check it out. It's been a great festival, a lot of great films. It's been a weird year for film festivals, but I'm glad that we were able to showcase a lot of really great works. Um, and yeah, check it out. It's the end of the month, so it's time for another edition of Do We Want This, where we review the latest news stories of in Asian American entertainment. Um, so stick around. We'll be right back. Mm, but we're still here. We're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, Like we mentioned before, it's the end of October. It's the week of Halloween, and it's once again time for our news roundup segment called Do We Want This? Where we go over the latest news and stories from Asian American entertainment and ask ourselves if we want this. So it's been another busy month in entertainment. We have a lot of great stories lined up. So why don't we start with Jess? What's our first story? I hate to be the bringer of bad news, but if you have not heard, they have announced that the Fast and Furious franchise the main one with dom toretto and family will be ending with fast and furious 11 we don't want this marvin i'm gonna just be straight up we don't want this uh we want this to go on forever we want this franchise to go into space we want this franchise to you know team up with optimus prime and fight evil aliens. I've been very vocal about this. We want this franchise to team up with James Bond. We want this franchise to uh, team up with the Men in Black and fight aliens. We want this franchise to do everything it wants to, but... So no, we don't want this. But (laughs) one thing that will be exciting is that 9... So 9 was supposed to come out this year in April, has since been pushed to, I think, like fall of next year? Like Q4 of next year? And even then, who knows if you know, movie theaters will be open then. But 9, 10, 11, which is going to be essentially the last trilogy within this larger series, is all going to be helmed by Justin Lin, which is very exciting. You know, he's brought Sung Kang back in number nine. John Cena's joining the franchise in number nine, which, you know, reviewing this just makes me so sad that it was supposed to come out in April and it has not. You know it's done. Like, it's done. Right. It's like it's in someone's vault at Universal. (laughs) Give it to me. Uh, But, you know, I was looking at the budgets for all the Fast uh, and the Furious movies. I believe the last one Justin Lin did was number six. Did he do six, Marvin? He definitely did five, which is not my favorite Fast and the Furious movie, but is the best Fast and the Furious movie. I don't know if that makes sense. 
<laughs> so I want to see which, and that was made for like 125 million, which is not not a lot of money. But now the budgets are up to like 250 million. Five was so the I highest see one, just, right? Yes, that was the one in Rio mm. with where they introduced The Rock. <laughs> so we know Justin Lin, you know, can do great action scenes. He's great at introducing new characters. He like blended The Rock in and that really like injected new energy into the franchise. Very excited to see what he'll do with John Cena, who's, you know, I'm very pro. I've gone on record on this podcast. Very pro wrestlers, very pro pro wrestlers becoming actors. Pretty much I've been all great, right? The Rock, John Cena, Not Dave Bautista. The good ones are really good, though. They're very charming, <laughs> and I love them. I'm having a good time with them. So I'm just like, okay, what is Justin going to do with like the 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 assurance of continuity, right? Knowing he has three movies to tell his full story with like basically an unlimited budget. Like if Justin Lin's like, yo, I need like another fifty million dollars, I'd be like, yeah, sure, okay. I do wonder would that make you know? Well, is that going to impede him? Because sometimes you know, too much is is not always the best. Or do you think it's just going to like set him free into like this higher plane of of creativity and being? I mean, he's done Star Trek, so he's used to having huge special effects budgets. Um, but Star Trek is so set in a certain mythology and you already have your characters, right? And and he didn't, I mean, he really did help build this franchise out from the ground up. Like no, no one cared about Fast and the Furious before he re- essentially rebooted it in like, four and five so the fact that he's coming back to it i'm very excited i i'm sad it's bittersweet it's bittersweet marvin you know it's amazing that the fast and furious like we can do an entire episode just on fast and furious or maybe a series of episodes uh maybe we will maybe we should do like just a rewatch of every single movie leading up to part nine um when we get there um yes. it's amazing that this series has gotten to this point where it's coming up on its ninth entry and it hasn't got into like straight to DVD territory because normally film franchises at this point are straight to DVD B movies, right? There aren't a lot of film franchises that get to nine movies. Like Star Wars took 30 years to get to this point, right? I mean, horror movies, sure, but they're, they're just plug and play. But this like, this is a, this is a series that started off as like a straight up, just rip off of point break and has become like essentially a superhero, super spy franchise. I mean, I think part of its the secret to success, though, has been its multicultural casting, Um, because like, let's say all the other big franchises that we know that are in the action genre, like James Bond and stuff, it's always a central like white dude or one central person. But this it's like it allows for a lot of plug plug in and, you know, adding characters and, you know, uh, setting it in different countries. And I think that's why it plays really well internationally, besides the fact that, you know, action and car stuff is just fun. Yeah. I mean, it's I think the Fast and the Furious franchise was really smart and they basically just cherry picked the best parts of other movie tropes and then crammed it all. I mean, I still give props because you can always have great ideas, but the execution, like don't execute it well, it's not going to work. But I they've mean, been able to cherry pick the very, the the reason why people like other types of movies, right? Like, why do we like spy movies? Why do we like ensemble films? Why do we like car, you know, car act chase films? And they just crammed it all into one <laughs> movie and again great multicultural ensemble cast you can really like add people subtract people you know they've done a spin-off which i thoroughly enjoyed hobbs and shaw that was a good time and the the the, the premise at the end of the day is like super cool fast car chase scenes action but with heart right because it's all about family in the end family yeah. do you remember the- when the series was doa <laughs> no it never was. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I have to say, that one of my memories of the Fast and Furious movies, I saw it in a theater, and I so much did not want to go to the bathroom in the middle of it because I didn't want to miss a moment that I almost exactly. hurt myself when I actually went to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so that tells you, it's an, a testament to how fun these are because Respect. you do... Yeah, you want to watch them on the big screen. Like, yeah, I'll watch it at home if I have to. But it, it is also, it makes me feel better about my fellow man. I will be around strangers to watch this. Um, hopefully, you know, <laughs> they have spaced it out long enough that we will be safe. I don't know if we will, 
um, by the time it hits theaters. <laughs> I remember one of the things that stood out to me in that first movie was the fact that the bad guy was a Vietnamese man named Johnny Tran. And I was like, that is the most rice rocket Vietnamese man name ever. Played by Brian T, though. I, um, I really do need to rewatch this. Uh, oh, my God. Please revisit the first one. It no, is so like no, I'm rewatching all of Rick Yoon, wasn't it? Brian T, oh, Rick was, sorry. Brian T was Tokyo Drift. Yes, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. That was racist of me. <laughs> yeah, that was the Asian bad guys in the Fast and the Furious. I, I think it's more of just all of the movies blending together for me. Um, I I do have to say, I was around to do interviews for Tokyo Drift, so that t- shows you how long I've been doing this job. But uh, and and of course, that's one of the least of the <laughs> Fast and the Furiouses, I think. Um, but yeah, the no, least, I need to- that is the best one. I mean, I like the drifting, but the rest of it was kind of eh. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I look forward to doing my rewatch, but I don't want to start it now. I want to get, you know, closer to when nine is coming out. <laughs> should we do one at a time or should we do all of them? We should do one at a time to give it the respect okay. and depth each film deserves. <laughs> we could spread it out and do one at a time among, you know, over the whatever year. I feel like it's worth it. <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah. All right, Han, what's our next story? Oh, what is it? Oh, okay. This was very exciting, actually, was that we finally got a Raya and the Dragon. Um, wait, is it called Raya and the Dragon? Hold on. Raya. Yeah, it's Raya and the Last Dragon. Last Dragon, that's what it is. Okay, so we finally got a Raya and the Last Dragon uh, trailer. It's a teaser trailer, actually. So it means that means you see like a little bit more of the plot. And then it was it, pretty long for a teaser. Right? <laughs> it was very meaty. And I was super excited about this. First of all, we know that Kelly Marie Tran is the voice of Raya. And this is uh, sort of a fantasy world but sort of set in the the southeast asian sort of amalgam uh of countries and so it mixes together a lot of that sort of mythology um i liked seeing raya who was a little bit browner um, than the usual asian character who's animated and um it kind of for me was sort of capitalizing on like what we had just watched which was uh yellow rose to see another southeast asian sort of person um and what we saw was first of all she's a badass she's like indiana jones so she does a lot of martial arts she rolls around she jumps um she has these sticks so maybe it's like stick fighting um and then there's some cute little it looks like a hedgehog or something what it's is it it's like dragon, the, right? is it armadillo? the pang- pangolin the pang- oh it's a pangolin oh pangolins oh. are so cute yes so <laughs> yeah yeah there was a pangolin in um in the Bojack uh, Vietnam episode also. Um, and uh, But yeah, so that's cute. Um, and just add a, everything about it looked really exciting because I basically didn't let myself have a lot of hopes about this because I'm just <laughs> so tired of being disappointed. And already just from the teaser, I'm just like, I'm so down. So like, so the concept art that's been coming out on this film that I've seen have all depicted like tropical lush kind of like southeast asian jungle setting i did not expect the mad max vibes i got from a big chunk of this trailer yeah (laughs) so down for it i've I've heard it being described as like uh mad max meets disney princess which (laughs) you know i think is 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 a right direction for them to go in all honesty yeah especially it seems a lot more action oriented than i thought it was was going to be I, I think they've kind of figured out like the formula now, since the last Mad Max uh, had Furiosa kind of as, as a breakout. They're just like, oh, it's not just the Lara Croft Tomb Raiders. They people really like to see very very badass, you know, women doing stuff and like the who she's fighting are these like monsters and stuff. I just, I'm so excited. Um, yeah, and <laughs> the super great. excited that Kelly Marie Tran is getting. Her star is still rising in the Disney universe, um, especially, especially after they did her dirty in, in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Just so you dead. best make her a princess. <laughs> well, this is. This she is. I mean, because also, like, I'm kind of tired of the princess princess of nobility. So I'm like, this is fine. Like, I don't need everyone to be a Jedi or a princess. You just need to be like a hero or, or uh, you know, an awesome person. And I'm so fine with her 
being like this. Of course, they may elevate her in some way. I don't know how the end's going to be, but <laughs> yeah. And this is not a musical. I think this is the first official oh, Disney Princess so excited. movie that's not a musical. Uh, and yeah, no, I just, I think this is like exciting, exciting route. Um, I hope people now know where Southeast Asia is. Um, cause some of the comments on Twitter, I was like, they were confusing South Asia and Southeast Asia. I'm like, uh, what? Like, no, that's very different. Uh, so yeah, glad this is opening up that conversation as well. Yeah. You know, interestingly, I have not even had that conversation with my non-Asian friends. So maybe I should. I mean, to the vast majority of people, this just looks Asian. I mean, to, let's be honest. That's right, what they're right. thinking. I think they understand that South Asian is different from East Asian. But then I think Southeast Asians are definitely kind of lumped together. It's like, what East happens Asian. when you combine both of those geographical cardinal <laughs> they directions? Don't know. What? <laughs> I mean, I've also encountered people who just like legitimately did not know like the languages like Korean, Japanese, are different. Vietnamese were not mutually like interchangeable or understandable. And I'd be right, like, right. They oh, think honey. it's like South America where, you know, like one person in one country can speak to someone in the next. Well, nope. let's face it. Geography is hard for a lot of people. A lot of people don't even know <sighs> what other states look like. Well, not- I just okay. I have a fun, sorry, tangent story. So in, I guess I sh- okay, it's like really petty of me to hold stuff from high school, but <laughs> in like the tenth grade, we after we took our AP test, we, my our our history teacher just gave us like a map of the world one day and was like, fill in as many countries as you can. And one of my classmates like looked like legit turned to me and was like, Jessica, what's on top of China? And I'm like. Russia, like that big one, that's Russia. Are you talking about the other big one, Mongolia? Like, oh, and then she turned to me again. She's like, wait, is Africa a continent or a country? And I was like, she is now running for office. Yes. Uh, And I think she's doing fairly well, actually, in the polls. So, uh, you know, I'm sure she's grown a lot in the 10 plus years. As As we've seen, leaders don't need to know where anything is on the map. Um, but you know what? Not everyone can be a professional, anxious Asian like you, Jazz. I just sporkle a lot, so you know. Shouts out to Sporkle for teach for for keeping me sharp on the on the countries of the world. <laughs> All right, um, All right. excited for Raya. Um, our next story is something I'm super excited about. Um, Pachinko, the Apple TV adaptation for the award winning novel by Min Jin Lee. Um, has announced its principal cast. And there are a couple of familiar names here. Um, first of all, it's Jin Ha. The, w- I love the, the him. role that everyone that we know have been auditioning for um, is going to be playing Solomon, who is a key character in um, one of the later arcs in the story. And again, I don't know how this um, adaptation is going to work. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, Pachinko is a multi generational story about Korean immigrants in Japan. And it takes place over the course of three generations of this family that were, were they forcefully sent to Japan or? No, she, they go because of various circumstances. Um, basically, I mean, it's not really a spoiler because it's in the beginning of the book, but she basically has a child out of wedlock. Right. And uh, ends up marrying a missionary who is going to Japan. So he's going to preach. And that's how they end up in Japan. But it's, you know, the turn of the 20th century. So, you know, Korean people are not treated very well in Jap- Japan. I mean, it's Korea Japan. Had, so, yeah. And Japan yeah. had been occupying Korea, Korean Peninsula for a while at that point. So, you know, a lot of like, it's just really funny when it's an Asian book, but the other bad guys are Asian too. And you're <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's good nuance. I mean, that's realistically what happened. And, when we joke about why all Asian people hate each other, right? Like inter-Asian racism and prejudice. Like this is the roots of it. Of uh, A lot of that gets erased in Western stories. Yeah. Um. So this is a really great book that delves into that historical like nuance. Um. Just great writing. Yeah. Definitely not a feel-good book, but not entirely no. sad either. It's kind of just, it's been described to me as just like the literary um, representation of the Korean concept of Han, which is just like generational Anger. suffering and angst. Um, I mean, the first line of the book is super powerful. It's basically, history has failed us, but no matter. Right? It's just like, 
It's about a people who have just been screwed by the whims of history and powers that are beyond their control. Um, because the story is about Korean immigrants in Japan who, to this day, I believe, aren't considered full citizens, right? They still have to register as like alien residents, even if they were born in Japan. It's really Jap- hard to be a Japanese mm-hmm. citizen. It's Japan super has hard. very weird immigration policies. I mean, it's Japan's like painted as this like beautiful, perfect land, but they are very xenophobic, <laughs> oh, and yeah, it yeah. is extremely hard, yeah, to become a Japanese citizen. And even if you are a Japanese citizen, or even if you're like a permanent resident working there, there's just like these weird, like traditions and like things where if you don't have a family name. You know, or you don't, you can't like legally attach a Japanese family name. You're kind of shit out of luck. Um, so it's just like they don't accept non-Japanese names on yeah. certain documents. So yeah, it's a, it's what what really int- like what was really interesting about the book is it's about a country where the majority oppresses the minority. That isn't America. So. Um, yeah <laughs> weird right when like the bad guy's also Asian you're like how do I how am I supposed to feel about this <laughs> but but um, uh, it's interesting because they didn't I mean they released a good chunk they released like six main casting yeah uh, cast um, of characters but that's big, like not the full character it's list it's a huge list of characters um, there are some people that we're still un- not sure who's going to play um, there's a there's a key character who is the only Asian American character the, in the entire book that I'm curious about um, who's going to play that person because I think that's going to be like a key role. I'm not sure if that character still exists in this version of the adaptation, so we'll see. Um, the other big name that people are making a big deal of is um, Lee Min Ho, uh, who is famous for um, being kind of the he's still pretty famous for being like the the drama guy, right? The Korean drama guy. He made his name um, as one of the key characters in Boys Over Flowers, the hit Korean drama from like, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, I mean, do not ever underestimate the power of Boys Over Flowers, regardless of which version you're talking about. To me, I watched the Taiwanese F4 version first in 2001. Mm. So I know none of the character names in any other version. They're always, they're still the the characters <laughs> as named in that Taiwanese version. So he played like Dao right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I mean, he was like a pretty, yeah, it's been over 10 years. He's like in his 30s now. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize what character he was playing until like, oh, until he's playing, he's playing I looked a- major character yeah yeah i didn't realize he was old enough to do so because in my head he's still like boys over flowers aged um and i was just like oh that's very interesting i don't i mean honestly he's not the strongest actor i think jin ha is incredibly Mm -hmm. strong actor i'm not familiar with that familiar with the work of all the other actors who are cast um so it'll be interesting to see what he can do yeah it has been a while since i revisited his work though but I mean, he has 20-something million followers, and I don't know. I don't know. Do you think this would have been even made? And this is a huge project. It's take their filming in, like, multiple countries. It ha- it's happening in three languages. You got It's historical, so, you know, you got to spend, like, a shit ton of money making that work. I mean, you, I'm like... I mean, they were definitely going to get a big-name K-drama star attached to it, right? There's no way they couldn't. I was expecting his character to be played by, like, someone like Parasite Dad. You know, that that's what <laughs> I had in my mind, but Me too, right? A little older. I just think he looks so young. Lee Min Ho looks so young still. He's too pretty for it, but I feel like. I think he has to I think the prettiness is fine because, you know, the character he's playing is like a charmer, very involved in dubious things and it's, you know, very successful in doing shady, dubious things. And usually those people are either very charming or like very good looking. You know, that's part of and I do think I think in the book, they talk about the relationship between him and the major female character, the mom. And she's obviously, like, attracted and seduced by him. So, yeah, he probably has to be hot. I don't know if I'd, like, <laughs> throw it all away for Parasite Dad. <laughs> but I might throw it all away for Lee Min Ho. That's true. Two directors have also been announced for the for eight of the episodes. Um, I think Kogo Nada, who, um, who directed um, Columbus... Um, is doing the first four episodes. And then Justin Chan, um, who's been having a really great um, few years as an indie, independent director, um, graduating from his his life as an actor, is doing four episodes as well. Um, so super excited that they're getting like Korean directors for, for that project as well. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. My my gut is telling me this is going to be a very mellow, subtle aesthetic. I mean, that is um, artistically, <laughs> yeah. yes, and, and Justin to an extent. Um, and I'm like, oh, which is weird because I've been watching so much maximalist television. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should switch my brain, you know, binging Watchmen and Lovecraft Country back to back. <laughs> you're interesting. Gonna, yeah, well, you look, you just this is what the whole season for Hallmark movies is all about is to lower your expectations for the drama and just live in a mellow area. So <laughs> looking forward to um following this project. I don't know if they started filming yet or not, but um it's definitely um Pachinko is I think at this point like international bestseller. So excited to see. I, I'm I'm glad that it's an international production. International production. I'm glad that they're filming this um, in like the actual languages. So you have Japanese, Korean, and English. Um, and excited to see where this goes. I do always find it interesting that shooting in like different languages seems to be much more prevalent with Asian projects <laughs> than white projects i i don't recall ever seeing a mainstream like italian language historical film maybe the godfather parts of the godfather or like i don't know if it's set in like france which you know a lot of things are like they don't make an effort to <laughs> do it in french i, I they're usually the british day, i don't yeah. yeah yeah but at the end of the day i don't really know if that is like a pro or a con for like generally like us as asian americans because i'm like well you, you, you tell us growing up our language sucks and it's dumb, so we don't learn it that well. And then you're like, oh, but we're only going to do things in like Asian languages. Okay, are you fluent? I'm like, oh, it's well. A, it's a weird Ooh, place loaded to be question. in right now. Um, yeah. But at least in this case, it does have its roots in the source material, so I'm not as mad about it. It's better than like something like um, Kubo, where you have a film set in Asia or Asian inspired land with like zero Asian actors. No Asian people. Yeah. Yep. All right. What's our next story? Um, this is something I just read. So, <laughs> so apparently, according to Variety, Dev Patel is going to star in a Chippendales true crime movie. What? Um, <laughs> yes. It's we not, want it. We want that intersection. <laughs> I mean, there were a few words in there that really got me interested. Def Patel and Chippendales, first of all. However, remember the true crime part. Um, so this is from the Itanya director, and he is actually playing um, a guy named Steve Banerjee. And so he actually helped. He bought the the club called destiny Two that then he changed into chippendales and like the one a, a former playboy model helped design the costumes which if you know what we mean by costumes it's basically the cuffs and the uh, the collar that they wear so you know great design lady um but <laughs> he himself is not a chippendales dancer which you know totally fine because that means we will also get extra dancers um but i i really like this because um since he's a big shot and it's going to be such a difference from um david copperfield <laughs> uh, <laughs> which we will talk about in a, in a future episode but uh I, yeah i like the fact that he's also playing you know an american um and it's because it's true crime uh spoiler alert there's going to be some murders um there's a murder for hire plot there is some hits um being taken out on some chippendales i mean <laughs> uh yeah. since since this is real life it's true crime hence the true you can actually bet, get spoiled and read about the whole thing but i will not spoil it for you to see what happens to him um but it just sounds really like filthy and exciting <laughs> Yeah, I did just Google the real life guy. Oh, yeah, we want it. But I did just Google the real life guy. And I hope I hope Hollywood stays shallow and vain in this case and lets Dev Patel stay hot. The real guy, <laughs> not that hot, uh, which actually might be interesting in terms of like a narrative thing of a like, guy who's not traditionally like hot, but like, you know, peddling masculine hotness. But like, let's keep Dev Patel hot. I mean, please. Is it, is it, is it possible? for Death Patel to not be hot. 
I don't want to find out, Marvin. 2020's been rough enough already, and I don't need that floating around you can in the always, universe. You can always make someone not hot for a movie. Um, just look at, you know, um, Monster with <laughs> that's true and but, like do, but Charlize they Theron that, is they like use, yeah and they usually lo- do that for dramas <laughs> I do yeah. love the she, idea she like Olympic levels hot <laughs> I do love the idea of Death Patel playing a sleazeball because mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen that yet right yeah I mean he's always been kind of the, the person you're gunning for so this will be an interesting change of pace and when we're talking about like seeing Asians in different types of roles and he's not just the um, you know how they, they bring in the token like evil guy he's actually the guy who you probably are initially rooting for because he starts this business and you have to be thankful for that kind of thing um, are we just like scorching like Avatar the last airbender movie from the record <laughs> yes <laughs> Or he played the villain. I mean, was he I the mean, villain though? That movie in general, yes. We are <laughs> that is no longer you know. Wait, existing. wasn't he isn't his character like the redemption arc guy? I don't think the movie was nuanced enough to handle <laughs> everyone is redemption a redemption arc. Um, <laughs> um what was gonna say. Um yeah, I mean I'm getting he's probably playing like the Scarface character where it's like guy rises to power and then spirals into paranoia and I mean, murder. I expect to see some really snazzy suits and maybe some jewelry, you know. Oh, this is Chippendale. No suits at all. And no, no, like he's not a dancer. <laughs> he's the owner. He's the he's the one who started it. It takes place in the early 90s too, so we're going to get to see some like wide lapel, some like pretty woman Richard Gere, you know, like suit level, which that's great. I love a historical costuming piece i love it yeah All right, Jess, what's your next story okay so um also another asian-led film coming out all my life is uh was announced to be coming out in theaters december 4th in the united states it's starring harry shum jr and jen cart uh sorry jessica coates uh who's not asian so i was like there you go, MR Asians. You happy now? Yay. Calm down. Uh, but yeah, so it's an interracial relationship. It's based off a real life story of Solomon Chow and Jen Carter. Um, looks, you know, it, the basic premise is, is they're falling in love. Life's great. And then he gets a cancer diagnosis. Oh, so it's a And they have to get married. They're going to get married anyways. Um, I'm not spoiling anything that isn't in the trailer. Uh, but it looks really, really sad, but good and heartwarming and fluffy, which is all things I like. And I'm not going to lie. Harry Shum Jr. in the trailer. Really great. He has really improved on his acting I, from what I've seen. Yeah, I feel like lately he's been doing some good jobs. Like, I'm so excited for him for leading man status. Uh Yes. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, every sometimes it's just a matter of casting. I think some people just are cast incorrectly or the director's not strong enough chemistry. to really like know what to ask for. Chemistry, yeah. there's a lot of different things. I mean, what do you cast uh, but, Harry Shum yeah. for? You cast him for his looks, his arms, dancing. His dancing. Yeah. He's and, just a, I mean, he's yeah. a very charming, naturally charming person. And I think that really does come through. I think he's he's definitely a star. Right. Look, there's that one second in Crazy Rich Asians where I'm just like, holy fuck. So- <laughs> well, he's only in Crazy Rich Asians for one second. For it was second. a powerful second. <laughs> I have to say, because I was like, wait, is that Harry Shum? Like, what? And he had fifth billing in that. I'm just really happy that it, this looks like a perfect role for him. Uh, the story, obviously, is very heartbreaking, but sweet. It's called All My Life. I will, I will, I do think that the, uh, the Boys to Men song keeps <laughs> playing in my head every time I say it. Uh, and yeah, I just, you know, I like sincere, uh, unabashedly romantic movies. My cold heart loves them. I feel like this year is good for I'm you excited. then because. This past week, there's been a ton of just rom-com announcements from like Hallmark and Netflix and. Oh, yes. I mean, and let's be real, like some of these are not necessarily, you know, they're not going to win an Oscar anytime soon. I still like them. And then uh, just today, they announced another rom-com with Adele Lim and Hikari, (laughs) who's this Japanese female director, like based off of Richard Curtis project. I was like, those are all things I love. 
So like, yeah, I think it's a good time. It's low hanging fruit. Um, but I do think it's unique that this is not a rom-com. It's like a rom-drom. <laughs> and most rom-droms are like really depressing. Like really like, like I'm, I don't know. What's the last great rom-drom you've seen? I can't even recall. But like, you know, the really, really great, like the, like the, like I, the classic ones, right? Well, I stay away from them because I hate the because usually someone's dying, right? Or someone's spiraling into drugs. But I would probably say um, Star is Born, maybe. This is the last really And that was huge depressing. One. Well, that's what I mean. And yeah, most of them are yeah. depressing. Very rarely are they dramas where it, it still ends happily. I do think a lot of the drama in a rom-drom, I think it's the balance of the rom to the drama, right? <laughs> and I like a little bit more rom. Like, you can't give me like 20% romance and then like, throw me in like the middle of a drug bender for the next 80% of the movie, which is what a lot of romantic dramas do. Um, but so, so this looks like still like happy, even though it's sad. I don't know. It's like a weird mix. And I'm just, again, very excited uh, that Harry Shum Jr. is getting a chance to flex his wings a yeah. little bit more. And we, he gets to be the leading man and there's a flash mob sequence. So, you know, make him work for that. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. All right. Our last story. Um, Hulu is adapting Charles Yu's novel Interior Chinatown for television. Interior Chinatown follows the story of an Asian-American actor struggling against cliched roles and stereotypes, both at work and in his personal life. Um, it was published earlier this year. Um, and it's, the, I believe, it's the second novel by Charles Yu, who previously was also a story editor for Westworld. Do we want this? I want this. I'm very excited, I'm very excited for it. Yeah. The, uh, because the book itself, well, it's on my list. I haven't read it yet, but um, already sounded intriguing and fun. Yeah. Charles is a very interesting writer. So his first book was called How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which was an another one of our book club picks for Books and Boba, one of our earlier ones. And that was a really interesting like stream of consciousness type of story that normally I don't enjoy, but I really liked his version of it. Charles is also, <laughs> he's also um, the brother of Kelvin Yu who um, we know from Master of None and um, was a writer on Bob's Burgers. So yeah, I was like, family. is he just going to cast Kelvin as this character, which <laughs> is kind of like a version of his character in Master of None? That's true. Um, from, from the little that, I, from what I've seen, um, from what I've read about this book, it's basically um, like it's, the story is about a guy who is stuck in Kung Fu Man, like an actor who's, stuck doing kung fu man roles who wants to just be a generic man like his dream of his acting dream is just to play a generic man in a television series or, or film it sounds like super hilarious and also super depressing especially for those of us who know people that are stuck in that that like situation which is like almost all of our actor friends yeah and i'm excited that he's getting to adapt his own work uh it doesn't always work out but he does have experience. I was like, oh, that'd be interesting. And hopefully he has enough creative control and say to really make it how he wants. I, I'm, I'm super excited to, you know, eventually when we know who's going to who's going to star in it, who's going to direct it. That'd be super fun. Hope they're Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Hulu's been doing pretty well i feel as far as doing adaptations um the last one was low fires everywhere and they made that a little bit more um diverse than the actual novel was so and they definitely worked with you know celeste ang so yeah i i, I feel good about this so far yeah We're looking forward to checking that out as well all right well, with that, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Lots of great stuff coming up. Lots of stuff that we want and we need. And um, since we're stuck inside for the foreseeable future, I'm excited that we have more things to watch. Um, Jess Han, thanks once again for joining me. If people want to follow you guys on social media, where can they go? You can find me on Jess Jude Tweets on Twitter, but I will be doom scrolling, doom tweeting probably <laughs> for the next week. <laughs> So you've been warned. <laughs> and you can find me at Hanonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Good Pop Club. And check out our other episodes by going to the website goodpop.club. 
uh, wanted to thank the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts, for letting us be a part of their network. Um, you can find our fellow Potluck shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, as we say goodbye to the month of October, I'm wishing you all a peaceful election week. Um, don't stress out too much. Whatever happens, we're here for you. Um, and yeah, <laughs> well, we'll see if next week brings relief or even more anxiety. Um, yeah, check check in with your friends safely. You know, like we'll find a way to move forward regardless of what happens. And don't forget to vote if you haven't done so already. Please go vote. All right. Stay safe, everyone. See you later. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 